Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Lord, we praise your name, Lord. We thank you for your strength. We thank you that you walk with us in difficult times. We thank you that you've provided uh, your word, Lord, for us to learn from, to study, to memorize, to live our lives by its truth. And so I pray right now as we open the truth of your text, you would speak very clearly to us. Open the eyes of our hearts. Allow us to see you, Lord, in all your glory and majesty. Father, just prepare us to receive your word. And I pray through the power of the Spirit, Lord, we could be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. We are continuing our study through the sermon series we've entitled Sent. And I've started every week with a phrase. I'm going to do it again this week. I hope you've kind of taken it to heart and you begin to think about it yourself. The phrase is very simply, we serve a sending God. We serve a God that from the beginning has been sending his people to accomplish his will. And we've noticed over and over over the last several weeks that the Lord uses this word sent. And, and, and honestly, for me, as I've studied through and then read through and prayed through, I've been amazed at the number of times the Bible actually uses the word send or sent in reference to accomplishing God's purposes. So I thought just for a few minutes today, because this is about the fifth week we've done this, I would spend just a couple of minutes reviewing just a few of these verses in Scripture to remind you that Old Testament, New Testament, from the beginning all the way through the early church, God has been sending people. You may remember when we started this sermon series a few weeks ago, I told you that over 40 times alone in the book of John, God says he sent his son. Over 40 times in the book of John, God says that he sent his son. I've got an example, John 17, 18. Pull that up if you would for me. This is the one that kind of helps us to understand that as as the Lord sent Christ, Christ also sends us. Jesus praying in his high priestly prayer says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. It's a mandate for every believer to understand that as Christ was sent into the world, we have now been sent into the world. A few weeks ago, we studied Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Pull that up if you would. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, there's the word, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And we said that this was the passage that Christ quoted when he unrolled the scroll in the temple that day. And we see an example again in the Old Testament of the Lord sending his people to accomplish his purposes. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. We saw that a few weeks ago. Ezekiel chapter 3 says this, Then he said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. Next verse. 
You are not being, there's the word, sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Now last week, Acts chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, we have that on the screen as well. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and there's the word, sent them off. Now verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. On and on and on it goes, all through Scripture. If we begin to look for this and kind of understand it, we see that we serve a sending God. And so the question we said from the beginning that you need to answer for your life personally, if God has been sending from the beginning, which he has, if he, if he sent Christ, which he did, if Christ in turn sent us, which is clear biblically, the question we have to answer then is, what is God sending you to do? What has God sent you to do? And so we've come up with an acronym to help us understand the word sent, S-E-N-T, and we've assigned kind of either a little word or a phrase to every letter. So pull that up for me. So we've gotten to this point in our study, S-E-N-T-S is spirit empowered, and so we've seen all these examples in Scripture, both Old and New Testament, that when the Lord sent people, he did it through the power of the Spirit. Which is good news to me because I don't think I'm smart enough or good enough or strong enough or have enough knowledge to do what God has sent me to do. I don't have to worry about my own strength or my own ability. What I have to worry about instead is that the Spirit has empowered me and to figure out what the Lord's called me to do. And so we said if we're sent, we're sent, first of all, through the power of the Spirit. Now, we've spent three weeks looking at the S, and so this morning, we're going to look at the E. We're going to talk about what E means in sent. If S is spirit-empowered, E, go ahead and bring that up, is evangelistic. We are sent through the power of the Spirit to be evangelistic. Now, let me just kind of make a comment about kind of the things we do and, and the way things work here at Rosemont. We do a lot of stuff in our community. We're very involved locally. We send people all over the world, and we have a lot of stuff going on here in LaGrange. And one of the things we do every year is Mission LaGrange. There have been a lot of local ministries that have come from Mission LaGrange that are ongoing that we continue to do. But one of the things we really stress with our people during the week of Mission LaGrange and all of our ongoing mission opportunities is that it's not enough just to do something nice for somebody. It's not enough just to love somebody. It's not enough just to help somebody. All those things are good. The scripture calls us to do those things. We're going to continue to do them. But our missions and our service and the way we live our lives in this community as we are sent, no matter what we do for somebody, how kind we are, how much we love them, it has to eventually get to the gospel it has to if all we're doing is loving people there are a lot of government organizations and nonprofits that do that if all we're doing is giving away money and helping other people there are plenty of other people in the world that want to do that but the, 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 the body of Jesus Christ the Christian we've got this unique opportunity and this unique calling not only love people in the name of Christ but to lead them through evangelism to a saving knowledge in Jesus. And so we are sent in the power of the Spirit to live our lives and to be evangelistic. 
And so last week we took a look at Acts chapter 13 and we saw the example of Paul and Barnabas that were sent off through the power of the Spirit. They were sent off to share their faith and to kind of start really the first missionary journey in the history of the world. And Paul did a lot of great things. In fact, if you were to kind of read from Acts 13 all the way up to Acts 26, you would see that Paul preached in Asia Minor to much of the known world. He planted churches. He proclaimed Christ. A lot of people came to saving faith because of his ministry. In fact, Paul did such a great job sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was arrested. And so as we pick up the story in Acts chapter 26 this morning, Paul, who's been sent who's been spirit-empowered, who's been called to be evangelistic, has listened to the calling of the Lord. He's been obedient. He's now walked out into faith. He's led probably thousands of people to Christ, planted all these churches. He's now been arrested, and he gets this pretty incredible opportunity to go before King Agrippa, the king in Judea, and share his faith. And I want you to notice what Paul does. He has this incredible opportunity to stand before this great leader. And instead of trying to proclaim his innocence and kind of get himself off the hook, he uses this opportunity filled with the Spirit to be evangelistic. It's a great reminder for us in, in every context, and every opportunity we get, we should be willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you may know this about Paul, some of you may not, but before Paul came to faith in Jesus Christ, he was opposed to Christianity. In fact, he dedicated his life to the persecution of Christians, and as he's telling King Agrippa about his conversion experience, he's in the moment on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And it's in this moment that God does something pretty incredible in his life. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 26. Verse 12, we have it on the screen for you as well. You can follow along in your Bible. Paul speaking to King Agrippa about an opportunity he's had now. This is before his conversion to persecute Christians. So here's what Paul says. On one of these journeys to persecute Christians, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest, right? So they gave me the authority. They basically sent me to persecute these Christians. I was on the road to Damascus. I was going to go in order to make it difficult for these believers. Verse 13. So about noon, King Agrippa, remember he's sharing the story with the king. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, and this is Paul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Verse 16. Now, this is the the words of the Lord to Paul. Get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant And as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Here's the word. I am sending you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to Paul. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God 
and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Now let's stop there. I want to give you truth number one. We are sent to be active in our faith. We are sent to be active in our faith. I want you to notice the first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ says to Paul in verse 16. Pull that, that verse, if you would, for me. Verse 16. Listen to what Jesus says. Now remember, Paul has seen this brilliant light. He and all of his companions have fallen down. They're laying on the ground. They're fearful. They're not quite sure what to do next. And the first thing the Lord says to Paul is, get up, stand on your feet. I got something I need you to accomplish. We're not called to lay around or sit around as believers. You understand that? We're called to get up on our feet to trust Christ and to accomplish things for his purpose. Now, far too many of us have kind of fallen into this trap of just kind of being passive, haven't we? It's good enough just for us to come and sit Study a little bit, maybe go to Sunday school, ask a couple of questions, feel good, go home, never apply any of it to our lives. Sunday morning rolls up again and we do the same thing. We're very passive in our faith. Christ says to us in this verse, he's saying to Paul, all through scripture, he's saying to us, listen, I've got a plan for you. I have sent you. You need to be active in your faith. You need to get up and to do something, do something I've called you to do and accomplish great things for me. I started thinking about this verse, and I started thinking about our study last week in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is very interesting to me because it's this kind of combination of the Holy Spirit sending and the church sending, and there's this kind of idea that they're both working together, and Paul and Barnabas are called from the local church, sent by the church, and sent by the Spirit. And I just started thinking about that idea of, of active Christian faith. And I started thinking about the idea that we are the church. You know that, right? Just a little bit of simple theology. This building is irrelevant. It's nice and we like it. And we talked about this last week. But we don't have to have a building to worship. We are the church, the body of Christ. We, the people, are the church. And so just think with me just for a second. If Christ called us to be active, which he did, get up, stand on your feet and go do something. If he's called us to be active, that means he's called the church to be active, right? It means the church can't just be passive. And so what it means, kind of in the vein of Acts chapter 13 and and Acts chapter 26 and really all the book of Acts, is that our church ought to be active in sending people into the world to accomplish the purposes of Christ, right? Is that a fair statement? Y'all could say yes, no, I don't care, whatever. I think the Lord has called our church to send people out. And so we've kind of taken that seriously, right? We send people on local mission trips. We send people on long-term mission trips. We, we ought to be sending people to plant churches. We send people into our community. And I just started thinking, what, what if we viewed our church as a sending church? What if the whole idea and the vision of this church was, we're going to bring as many people as we can here. We're going to equip you and challenge you and train you teach you the word of God, and then send you into the world to accomplish his purposes. Now, I wrote something down. Some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to say it. What if our goal was to shrink in attendance because we were sending so many people out to be church planters and full-time missionaries? How cool would that be? You say, that's 
foolish, Adam. That doesn't make any sense. We, we want to grow this church. Well, I would, I, would, I would agree in one sense, but I would disagree maybe in a bigger sense. It's really not our call to grow this church. It's our call to grow the kingdom of Christ. Yeah, that's good. A little response. I like it. Woo! That was good. Amen. Right. We should get that vision. And we, we, this church is growing, and I, here's what I believe, right? Here's kind of the little secret. I believe that when we teach the Word of God and proclaim it and challenge people in their faith, God's going to continue to send us more people because that's what he wants to happen. And so I believe with all of my heart, and I, I say this with complete honesty, the more people we send out, the more people God's going to send us. And we're going to become this kind of sending hub where people know they can come and be transformed and equipped and challenged and go. I think about people like Megan and Joe. I think they're in the 11 o'clock service. Megan and Joe are going to go to Guatemala full time. They've sold everything they own. They're going to move to Guatemala. And there's kind of a part of me that's very sad about that because I'm going to miss them. I love them and their family, what they've meant to our church and their faithfulness and their hearts. And I love that about them. But, but I have to understand that, that even as much as I love them, there's a bigger purpose and play in their life. And so I rejoice that they're leaving us. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I rejoice that they're leaving us. Why? Because they've been sent. They've answered the call of Christ. They've answered the call to get up and to be active in their faith. The Lord's going to bless them and the Lord's going to bless us. And in the process, he's going to be glorified. That's our calling. We've been called to be active in our faith. But it's not just about being active. Look again at verse 16. So get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to anoint you, excuse me, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we're called, number one, to be active. We need to get up and do something. Number two, we are sent to be evangelistic. We are sent to be evangelistic. Look at kind of the second part of verse 17. Pull that back up if you would for me, please. I want you to notice a couple of very important things about how this verse ends. Christ says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'll get there in just a minute. That's an interesting comment. But the second part of verse 17, the Lord says, I am sending you to them. Now hold that just there for a second because there's a couple of very interesting things I want you to see by the end of 17. First, this is very personal. The Lord says, says I'm sending you. Right? So we, we can't just say it's enough for my neighbor to go or my friend to go, or somebody I know go, a coworker. those people are sent as well. But you need to think about yourself. You've been sent to do something. It's very, very personal. But beyond being personal, which is important, the second thing, and I think it's the most important part of the second part of verse 17, is that we are sent under the authority of the Lord. Jesus Christ says, I am sending you to them. Jesus says in John 17, just as you sent me, I am sending them, right? So there's this personal sense that we've been sent. But bigger than that, we are sent under the authority of Christ. Christ has commissioned you to be sent out. He's empowered you with the Spirit and given you clear commands that we're to obey. That's the calling of Scripture. Scripture. 
We have the power of the Spirit to accomplish things for Him. But I want you to notice kind of two ways that we've been sent out. Pull verse 16 back up if you would. He says, I've appeared to you to appoint you as a two things, a servant and as a witness. So if you're taking notes, you can kind of underline both of those. Those are kind of the two primary ways that Paul's going to be sent out, right? A servant to love people, to help people in the name of Jesus Christ, but also as a witness to share the truth of the gospel of everything that you've seen, everything you will see of me. So there's kind of these two ideas, and I love the model here because we've tried to do this locally and overseas. This is what Christ did as well. This is what the Lord called Paul to do. We basically go and we're kind and we love and we serve with the intent of then sharing the gospel. You understand that? Jesus did this, right? He went and he fed people, he healed people, he did all these miraculous things. Why? So he then had an opportunity to share the gospel. It's not enough just to be a servant. Paul wasn't called just to love people and help people. That's only half the equation. Paul was called to be a servant and a witness. We're not called to be silent. We're called to be witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is exactly what Christ was sent to do. In fact, if you read scriptures about Jesus, he talks about over and over. He was sent to seek and to save the lost. That's his calling Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says that over and over and over again. The Lord says, Paul, I've empowered you by the Spirit. I've equipped you. I've called you. I've sent you to be a servant and to be a witness. And so as we apply that to our lives, we begin to think, you know, it may be kind of easy for us to be kind to people and to do nice things and to love people. I can be a servant, but how often am I a witness? Am I, am I allowing my opportunities of service to eventually lead to a presentation of the gospel? See, because when we love people and serve people, and we share with people the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, something's going to happen. Look at verse 18. There's a whole list of things that are going to happen here. Verse 18. Here's what Paul's sent to do as a servant and as a witness. To open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light. That's kind of the first thing. I just started thinking about this idea of opening their eyes. Right? People are spiritually blind. They can't see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was sitting in the library this week and I was waiting. Amy tutors in the library on Monday afternoons and we exchange children at the library. That's kind of how our lives goes right here and I get them and take them here and a lot of y'all are in that world. And so I was sitting in the library and I had my laptop open and I was working on my sermon. I was just thinking, I was reading this verse and I literally looked up on the magazine rack kind of down at the end of the library and the National Geographic was right there on the top. And on the front cover of National Geographic, September 2016, was an eyeball. And the title was End of Blindness. I thought, that's, that's interesting because Paul's sent to open their eyes, to turn them from the darkness to light. I wonder what National Geographic says about blindness. So I picked it up and I read it. Very interesting article because there, there are these doctors and scientists that have they've kind of been studying blindness. And they basically think... They can end blindness in the very near future. I want to read just a portion of this article because it was fascinating to me. National Geographic, September 2016, the end of blindness. These advances encourage talk of something unthinkable 10 or 20 years ago. Ending human blindness. Is this even remotely realistic? Some advocates and fundraisers are suggesting so. Businessman Sanford Greenberg, who lost his sight to glaucoma while in college, 
has founded End Blindness by 2020. I love how they do the year 2020, but 2020 vision. In Blindness by 2020, which, listen to this, offers $3 million in gold. Some of y'all just said it. What? $3 million in gold to the person or persons who contribute most to ending blindness by that day. Isn't that interesting? $3 million in gold. The National Eye Institute, one of the U.S. National Institutes of Health, is aggressively funding eye research with large awards from an Audacious Goals Initiative. And the World Health Organization and the International Agency for the Prevention of Blindness Vision 2020 Initiative states a goal, this is their goal, of eliminating avoidable blindness by 2020. That's amazing. We're not far off from that. The idea that these people think that they can end human blindness. But I just started thinking about kind of the comparison of what Paul's talking about here. We would all say that, that, that physical human blindness is a terrible thing. Some of you may have experienced it. Maybe you know people in your family. Maybe you've struggled with that. And the idea of ending physical blindness would be just incredible blessing for the people of this world. But I thought, what, what if we could instead end spiritual blindness? Because physical blindness is, is crucial and important for this life. But spiritual blindness is far more important. Because if you're spiritually blind, it not only affects the way you live your life here on this earth, it affects your eternity. So Christ says, Paul, I've, I've sent you and I've equipped you. I've given you the power of the Spirit to be a servant and a witness. Why? Because there are blind people out there. They can't see spiritually. You need to open their eyes, turn them from the darkness to the light. And he gives this, this whole list right there. Turn them from the darkness of the light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so they can receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I, I was reminded of John chapter 1. When the Bible talks about Christ coming to kind of the, the beginning, the, the prelude of John chapter 1, there, the, the first 14 verses of the book of John, the prologue of the gospel of John says in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, speaking of Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, you remember, children of God. It's exactly what we see in that verse. Right? We can, we can receive faith and we can receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith to me. Right? It's a place among the people of God. See, when Paul shares his faith and people are open to the truth of the gospel and they're turned from the darkness into the light and are forgiven of their sins, they receive an inheritance. They are now called children of God. But listen now, that will not happen if faithful believers who are sent are not obedient. God says, I've sent you, I've empowered you, I've equipped you to be evangelistic, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all that will hear. When these people are converted of their sins, it's a radical conversion. In fact, one author said it like this. This conversion includes a radical transfer of allegiance. I started thinking about that, and I just started trying to put that in, in kind of modern human mind. What would that mean to me, the, the idea of a, a radical transfer of allegiance? And I thought, you know, this is college football season, and, and people love college football, and you all have your favorite team, I'm assuming most people do. My team didn't play yesterday. They were off. They, they got a game next week against Tennessee at home. They didn't play last week, yesterday. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that was a little bit of a joke. 
I just really wanted to glaze over all that. Uh, Auburn played. They won, by the way. Auburn, good win for Auburn. Exciting game if you saw it. Alabama won. But I just started thinking, you know, if you've got your favorite team, you have an allegiance to that team. A radical transfer of allegiance would look something like this. Auburn fans, you woke up tomorrow and loved Alabama. You're like, oh, don't do that to me. I could never do that, right? Alabama fan, you woke up and loved Auburn. Or Florida fan, you loved Florida State. Or this radical transfer of allegiance, that doesn't make sense to us. We can't understand that. That's not something normal for us to do or experience or even know of anybody that's gone through that process. Yet when we accept Christ, there's this radical transfer of allegiance from the things of the world, the love of the world, the sin of the world. When, watch this. When our eyes are open to the truth, there's a radical transfer from the things of the world to the things of Christ. That's why Jesus talks over and over about fruit. You're going to know somebody by the fruit they bear. Just because somebody says they've done something doesn't necessarily mean their eyes have really been opened. Because for somebody's eyes that have really been opened and changed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should see a radical transformation of allegiance from the things of the world to the things of Christ. There should be a noticeable difference. But that doesn't happen if we're not willing to go and share our faith. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, okay, I get that. I'd, I'd like to share my faith. I'd, I'd like to give my testimony. I'd like to be evangelistic. I understand I need to get up and be active. I know I've been sent to be evangelistic. I need to, I need to be a servant and help and love, but I also need to be a witness. I need to share my faith. But you would say, I'm really scared to do that. I'm not quite sure how I need to share my faith. I'm not really sure what a, what a good testimony looks like. I'm going to give you three very simple things you can do that will help you understand your testimony. Here's what a testimony ought to look like, and I'll show it to you in Scripture as well. I'm not going to read every verse, but I'll give you just the, the, the areas and the references here that will help you understand. Here's the three areas of your testimony. If you want to share your testimony with anybody, you do three things. Number one, you talk about your life before Christ. Now, when Paul is speaking to King Agrippa... Really, verses 9 through 11, I'm not going to read them all, but verses 9 through 11 are his life before Christ. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, right? Paul was against Christianity. He was anti-Christian. He wanted to do everything he can to persecute believers because he hated them. That's his life before Christ. And so you get the opportunity to share with somebody about your life before Christ. Listen, I was sinful I was separated from the Lord. I wanted to do my own thing. I was rebellious. I was selfish. Whatever it looks like for you, you tell that story. Here's who I was before Christ. The second thing you do in your testimony is you talk about your life-changing experience. You talk about your moment of salvation. Something happened in my life and everything changed. For Paul, this is verses 12 through 15. Right at the bright light, he falls down. The Lord speaks to him, commissions him, and sends him out to go. So there's the life before Christ. There's your salvation experience. And then the third thing is your life after Christ. Verses 16 and the verses that follow. Paul says, this is who I was before Christ. Christ spoke to me. I had this amazing salvation experience. Here's what my life has been since. That's a real simple model. You know why? Because you know well what your life was before Christ. You can tell that story. You know pretty easily about your salvation experience. You can tell that story. And you know pretty easy about your life after Christ. You can tell that story. 
So really, as you share your faith in Christ, you become a witness to what you've seen, to what Christ has done in your life, and you share with these people, whoever would listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ based on what Jesus has done in your life. It's exactly what Paul does here. You lead these people to a place of repentance of their sins because of what Christ has done in your life. So we're called to be active. We need to get up and do something. We need to be evangelistic. And then verse 19 and 20 as we kind of wind down this morning. So then King Agrippa, this is Paul speaking again. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should, here's why I did it, that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Here's truth number three. We are sent to be faithful, that's an important word, faithful in sharing our faith all over the world. We are sent to be faithful in sharing our faith all over the world. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on your toes for a minute, so go ahead and be prepared. Far too many people can tell the story of the one time they shared their faith and somebody came to know Christ. And that's fantastic. You should be able to share that story. But I would just caution you, if your time of sharing that story was years and years and years ago and you haven't done it since, you probably need to examine your heart and your life and your level of obedience. Because if you're not living as a servant and as a witness, if you're not being evangelistic in the way you live your life, I think you're missing the truth of what the Lord calls us to do and who he calls us to be. Paul doesn't say, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I witnessed one time and led one man to Christ and that's all I've ever got to do. I feel good about it and that's the story I tell. Instead, you see this sense of faithfulness. Pull up verse 20 again if you would, please. Paul doesn't say, I just did this once. He said, first, to the people of Damascus, right? To the people, I was, I was already headed to Damascus, so I just went on in Damascus. I preached to those people. Then in Jerusalem, a whole other city. Then in all Judea, right? So there's this sense of Acts 1-8 living out in the life of Paul. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So I did it in Damascus, and then Jerusalem, and all Judea. Then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God, right? There's this sense, in fact, one translation says that Paul kept declaring. It's not a one-time deal. It's not like we get to share our faith once and we're done with what the Lord's called us to do. We need to be faithful in the way we live for Christ day in and day out. So we kind of apply this to our lives. We should be a servant and a witness every moment of every day. If we've been sent to be evangelistic and to reach people and to share our faith in Christ, that should happen on a regular basis, shouldn't it? Paul was faithful. We should be faithful as well. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but that was easy for Paul. I mean, Paul, this is Paul. Of all the people in the Bible, maybe except Jesus, Paul is probably the most well-known and most famous. I mean, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul preached to a a large portion of Asia Minor. Paul is well-known. It must have been very easy for Paul to share his faith. Well, what you need to understand is that Paul is very famous now, but in the first century, Paul is oftentimes despised. Not only was he despised, but he was subjected to very difficult things. He was beaten, stoned, left for dead. He'll eventually be shipwrecked. Even in this moment, as we're reading this text, he's under arrest. It's going to eventually lead to his death. It won't always be easy. 
But the Lord will walk with us through the trials of life. Now, I want you to hear this because I think this is important. I, th- I think we've, we've, we've fallen into this, maybe this trap or this rut, in, 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 at least maybe in Western Christianity, where we think when we accept Christ and follow the Lord, everything's going to be easy for us. That's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16, I want you to listen to the words, dear friends, right? It's kind of like he's kind of very subtly saying, you know, friends, I need you to listen to what I'm about to say. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But watch this now. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. See, Paul was faithful in sharing Christ. Even when it wasn't easy, we must be faithful too. John Stott said it like this. This did not guarantee immunity to suffering. On the contrary, it was part of the vocation of the prophets and apostles to endure suffering, but it did mean that their testimony would not be silenced until God-appointed work was done. See, we're called to be faithful and obedient even in the difficulty. We're called to stand up, to be active, to be evangelistic, to be faithful, to obey the call and the teachings of the Lord, even in difficult times. Why? Because we've been sent to accomplish a purpose. And if the followers of Jesus Christ are not willing to be obedient to that call, nobody else will. What has God sent you to do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, for the truth of the scripture. This speaks very clearly into our lives. Father, we have been sent and we see example after example after example of those that have gone before us and have also been sent, Father. So you speak to us through their lives, through their example, Lord. Speak to us through your word. And Father, remind us that we've been empowered by the Spirit and sent to be evangelistic, Father, to live our lives for you, to be a servant and a witness. And then, Father, give us the the courage to stand up and to be active, to share our faith, and to be faithful in doing so, even in the difficult times. Because, Lord, we know that you've got a plan, and we're part of it, and you want to use us to accomplish your purposes. Give us the strength and the courage to be obedient to you in all things, and we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to open the altars. We always do for prayer. If you want to come and pray with me, if you have questions about salvation or being sent or this church, this is your time to respond. You come as we sing together.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.